Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition we'll feature Robot Wars and the return of the Dracula Mice. But first up, here's the news. Nuclear weapons go green. The American National Nuclear Security Administration has decided to power its Texas nuclear weapons factory with wind. The new wind farm will have five turbines of 2.3 megawatts each, and it will be the biggest wind farm in America. Siemens have won the contract to build and maintain the Pantax wind power station on 1,500 acres of government land. The 20-year power contract should save the US government nearly $3 million, and using wind will let them save the world while building the weapons to destroy it. It's turtles all the way down. Researchers at Washington University's Genome Research Institute have sequenced the genome of the western painted turtle, common in North America. They wanted to learn how the turtles are able to hibernate in frozen lakes for four months without oxygen. They found that this ability to revive after freezing is not from special turtle-only genes, but from activating genes common to most vertebrates, including people. Scientists have identified 19 genes in the brain and 23 genes in the heart that are activated in low oxygen conditions, including one gene that increased nearly 130 times. From the genome, biologists were able to determine that turtles are most closely related to crocodiles and birds, and not lizards and snakes. The paper, The Western Painted Turtle Genome, a model for the evolution of extreme physiological adaptions in a slowly evolving lineage, was published in the journal Genome Biology. Google Glass, the new heads-up wearable computer, has been released with tight restrictions. You have to agree to Google knowing your location at all times. As a developer, you aren't allowed to put advertising on the Google Glass heads-up display, and you're not allowed to charge a price for your apps. Your software has to be free. You aren't allowed to collect data to sell, either. That eliminates most business models for software, so it'll be interesting to see how developers rise to the challenge of creating new ways to make money from Google's new platform. The device is voice-operated, which may have privacy problems if you don't want people to hear all the commands that you will be putting to your mobile internet device. Google's device comes with a 5 megapixel camera for 720p high definition video and 12 gigabytes of flash storage. It has Bluetooth and Wi-Fi for connecting to an app called MyGlass on your Android phone and recharges through micro USB. Google Glass kind of stands out on your face as something new and expensive unless you use the sunglasses option. It costs $1,500 and Google is taking requests 
for people wanting the privilege to be the first non-developer buyer of the device. You earn your right to hand over $1,500 by tweeting how you'd use the gadget with the hashtag #IfIHadGlass. Angus Davison is organiser of RoboWars Sydney. He met me at the Redfern Studios of the Community Broadcasting Association to talk about building fighting robots. So I'm speaking to microfactory entrepreneur Angus Davison, and he's the organiser of this year's Sydney RoboWars. So for the listeners who haven't heard before, what is RoboWars? So RoboWars is basically a sport where two radio-controlled machines fight it out with each other in a specially designed arena for three minutes and try to smash each other to bits. And how big are these robots? So we have different weight classes. The smallest we build in Australia are 150 grams, so they can fit on the palm of your hand. And uh, we go up to 13.6 kilograms, which are called featherweights. Mm -hmm. 13.6 kilos is still reasonably massive for something that's destructive yeah well overseas they go up to 100 kilograms which are their heavyweight combat robots which are quite spectacular i haven't seen them in person but apparently it's like watching a car crash for three minutes and these robots are remotely controlled yeah so these robots aren't autonomous they don't think for themselves they're all controlled by their creator with a remote control Is that a class of game you might have in the future? A class of combat, autonomous robots? The idea has been toyed with. Some have been made, but they generally always lose to a human brain behind the controls. (laughs) So you don't don't just do autonomous against autonomous, you do free-for-all? There is some classes, like there's uh, sumo robots, which are a bit bit different to combat, but they have all complete autonomous sumo competitions, which have actually become quite intelligent and uh, spectacular. Awesome. Yeah. So what are the ways in which some of the robots attack each other? Okay, so there are rules, and the rules are basically for the safety of the audience and the entertainment of the audience. So weapons such as uh, liquids or electricity or explosives, they're all completely banned. But you can attack your opponents using any sort of kinetic energy uh, weapon. So that could be a spinning disc or a axe or perhaps a flipper where you want to throw them into the air and get them to smash down and break themselves. Um, or you could even have just a basically a brick machine with high power drive motors and you're just trying to outlast your opponent. Wow. Mm. So what sort of, it's got to be a kinetic weapon. So you couldn't have a little flamethrower or something. Uh, you can have flamethrowers depending on the competition. Uh, some competitions will allow flamethrowers, but they don't do as much damage as you might expect. They're more psychological. Uh-huh. So you, you see your robot get engulfed in flames and you might tap out and freak out, but usually the damage done isn't very, very much. And where do the robots do battle? Where can you go and see the Robo Wars? Well, currently the biggest competitions at the moment are happening actually in Queensland. So we've had uh, the Robot Wars Nationals 2012, which was held in Ipswich last year. 
and we had 3,200 people come through and watch it over the course of three days. And that was probably our biggest event in the last last few years. That's huge. Yeah, it was, it was very big, especially for Ipswich. Like, everyone in the town just came and watched. Um, yeah. And you're organising one for Sydney. That's correct. So I'm organising basically our biggest ever public Sydney robot competition. I'm trying to bring it back into Sydney, um, back at the scale how it used to be a few years ago. So whereabouts in Sydney will it be? So it's going to be held at a place called 107 Projects, uh, which is located in uh, Redfern, up Redfern Street. It's like a sort of community space where people hold uh, art exhibitions, uh, talks and performances. Terrific. So if people want to come, when will it be? So it's going to be held on the 3rd and 4th of August this year. And it's going to be happening from about 10 o'clock each day to to about 4 o'clock. And there'll be fights pretty much throughout the day. And will any of this be live streamed? Uh, Hopefully. It depends if we can get a, a wireless connection. Right. Um, we have done it in the past, and it has been quite nice to have. But yeah, getting a uh, internet connection in a in a venue can be quite difficult. But we'll we'll see what we can do. So, what's the funding organised for this? Okay, so for Robot Wars in Australia, it's pretty much driven by the community. There isn't any large financial sponsors. So to get this event happening in Sydney, what we had to do is use crowdfunding. So basically, we put up this crowdfunding campaign, which was Robot Wars Sydney 2013. And we had competitors and people interested in the sport pledging you know, money towards actually the funding for us to put this event on. So we had uh, rewards such as you know, if you don't want to build a robot for the competition, you can actually drive one in the competition and you pledge a little bit of money towards it that way. So we raised all the funds through, through crowdfunding. That's terrific. Hmm. So if you can't build one, you can still fight one. Yes, exactly. Or you can give us a, give us your toaster and we'll smash it for you <laughs> as part of a spectacular sort of performance for you. That's amazing. And are you involved with any schools or universities for the building of the robots? When I was at university, I was building it um, using their workshop. But there are, there are some people who are doing it as part of their university, but not actually directly involved. Um, there are some university clubs like the Robotics Club of UTS who are quite keen to get involved. But um, they haven't built a robot yet, but they, they are actively saying we want to build a robot. Because <laughs> <laughs> hmm. it sounds like the sort of thing that could be part of a curriculum for either a high school or a university for electronics and a team building a robot. Yeah, well, absolutely. In America, it actually is part of the curriculum. You can do something called BattleBots IQ, where you can actually learn the physics and engineering behind these machines and actually build a robot as part of your project and actually fight it. So they have BattleBots IQ competitions with all the schools around, and they actually that's part of the mark, you know, how well your robot performs. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the Robot Wars website? Oh, yeah, so the Robot Wars website is basically robowars.org, and uh, the community forum is slash forum on there, and that's where all the uh, Australian robot builders post what they're building, any questions or sort of ideas they might have, and it's where we sort of coordinate our next events from. And, of course, you've got a Facebook page. We do. Uh, so it's uh, Robo Wars Sydney 2013 is our um, event page for the next coming Sydney robot event. Do you know how long Robo Wars has been going in Australia? Uh, that's a good question. I came into it when I was about 15 or 16. And I sort of just missed a website called ABBL, which was the Australian Bot Builders League. So that's where it all started, as far as I know. And 
it originally started in in England in like 1994, so that was a very long time ago. It was on network TV. There were Robot Wars. Too. Yeah, Robot Wars with uh, the guy from Red Dwarf. Yes. Yeah, and the first one had the uh, uh, the Top Gear guy, the first ever Robot Wars. And there was an American one too, wasn't there? That was BattleBots. BattleBots. Um, so they. The, the craze really took off, and so the Americans wanted some of it, and they went for BattleBots, which was really over the top. They had arena weapons, they had, you know, sports presenters, but it really pushed the popularity of the sport, like, through the roof. Absolutely. Yeah, a good concluding statement would be basically how much you learn from building the machines. Um, I've heard it described as sort of stealth learning. So basically, you're having so much fun building these machines and the adrenaline rush from fighting them, you don't realize that you're learning how to use computer-aided design programs, how to apply engineering principles, uh, material sciences, and actually building things with your hands. Because if you don't build it well, it actually won't survive. So it's sort of a forced evolution and actually forces you to use good design principles and put these ideas into practice to actually succeed. And it's actually fun the whole way through. Like if I get a robot that's smashed, I don't get disappointed and don't come back. I actually think, okay, that was awesome. How can I improve it next time? What have I learned? And it's just been, over the last few years, it's been fantastic. Awesome. Well, Angus Devinson, thank you very much. No worries. Thanks, Ian. That was Angus Devinson, entrepreneur, robot wars organiser, robot builder, and industrial designer. You can find out more at robowars.org. RoboWars Sydney 2013 will be held on the 3rd and 4th of August. You can support RoboWars on the possible crowdfunding site, www.pozible.com slash project slash 21625. You can find these URLs on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to... You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. Send email to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. We'll hear more from Angus Devison next week. Guinea pigs used to be the size of rhinos. Raccoons were the size and ferocity of bears Oh, it's a fact, so deal with that It's a fact, yeah, deal with that The moon is moving away from the earth by 40 centimetres a year And when it's gone we are all well and truly buggered Oh, it's a fact, so deal with that It's a fact, so deal with that Blue whales are bloody massive Their tongues weigh as much as an elephant Its heart is the size of a car And some of its blood vessels are so wide That you could swim down them Oh, it's a fact You deal with that It's a fact So deal with that Your average pillow of about six years old Is made up from one-tenth of skin Living mites Dead mites It's a fact, so deal with that. It's a fact, so deal with that. It's a fact, you deal with that. It's a fact. 
deal with that. Ducks, quacks don't echo. Fact. It's a fact. Deal with that was written and performed by Sam Greenwood. You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. Send email to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Glowing Mouse Vampires Ride Again Way back in 2005, I reported how Stanford University researchers stitched together elderly mice and young mice so that the blood of the young mouse flowed into the veins of the old mouse. The process is called heterochronic parabiosis. They genetically engineered the young mouse to glow in ultraviolet light so that they could prove that the blood circulating in the old mouse was indeed from the young mouse. After four weeks of fresh young blood, the old mouse rejuvenated, becoming healthier and stronger. Harvard have repeated the experiment in 2013. The trick is to identify what factors in the young blood was healing the old mouse, and then to apply the information to humans. In 2005, they identified two hormones that the young mouse was making that healed the old mouse. Now, eight years later in 2013, Professor Amy Wages led a team that has repeated the experiment at the Harvard Stem Cell Institute, and identified a rejuvenating factor for healing old hearts that have grown too big. Cardiac hypertrophy is where hearts grow too large as they age, and it often causes heart failure. Mice have the same problem. The new study found that after four weeks connected to the blood circulation of a young mouse, the hypertrophied heart of the old mouse healed to shrink to a more healthy size. Using the science of proteomics that's developed in the last eight years, the Harvard team have identified the protein in the young mouse's blood that shrinks overgrown hearts. The paper was titled, Growth Differentiation Factor 11 is a Circulating Factor that Reverses Age-Related Cardiac Hypertrophy, and was published in the journal Cell. Harvard has better PR than Stanford had back in 2005, because this story reached the TV news, and was even reported recently on the Colbert Report. In the show, Stephen Colbert has a young intern's blood connected to him so he can be rejuvenated by the young blood in his veins. In his 1941 novel Methuselah's Children, Robert Heinlein's future rejuvenation treatment is mainly about replacing all of the old blood tissue in an old person with new young blood. One of the biggest differences between young people and old people is that young people's injuries heal fast and old people's injuries don't heal well. Often they don't heal at all. It turns out that your body's natural healing processes are regulated by signals communicated from the injury site to specialised stem cells. They're told to migrate towards the injury and turn into the cells needed to heal. These specialised progenitor stem cells are still present in old people and they are still listening for the signal. It's just that they're not being broadcast the instruction to heal anymore. Unlike embryonic stem cells, which could become anything, progenitor cells have begun the path to specialisation. Progenitor cells are committed stem cells that will only become one kind of cell when given the right signal. 
These progenitor cells hang out as satellite cells in the body's organs. Our bone marrow is full of blood progenitor cells, which are stimulated by the recombinant protein erythropoietin to make billions of new blood cells every day. Inflammation is part of the body's response to injury. Progenitor cells are involved in keeping inflammation of the damaged area under control, making sure the body's arteries run smoothly. Inflammation is a key part of atherosclerosis, the disease that causes fatty deposits to build up in the lining of the arteries. It's also a large part of arthritis, another disease of old age. It may be that the inflammation goes out of control in these diseases because of a failure of communication of the right signals to the progenitor cells from old blood. If you give old mice young blood by hooking up their veins with a young mouse in parabiotic pairing for a month, then their muscle, liver and now heart injuries heal just as fast as the young mice. The difference is due to signaling chemicals in the young blood. Muscle progenitor cells have a protein switch on their surface called notch. Injured muscles make a signal chemical, delta, and this activates notch, telling the cells to heal the injury. Older mice had less delta in their injured muscles than young mice until they were sharing the young blood. In aged livers, the BRM protein develops and seems to block the E2F hormone signal that tells the liver progenitor cells to heal the liver. This is reversed when the young blood is circulated. In 2013, researchers found that in the heart, systemic growth differentiation factor 11, GDF11, from young blood can heal hypertrophied old hearts that have grown too big and stop them failing. Cardiac hypertrophy is where the walls of the heart become thickened and enlarged, shrinking the chambers inside and eventually leading to heart failure. Hearts from the old mice exposed to young circulation for four weeks were noticeably smaller than the hearts from the mice on their own. They found that young mouse cells expressed a lot of GDF11, and this amount declined as they grew older. They injected GDF11 into mice for 30 days and saw the hypertrophied hearts heal and shrink to normal size and thickness. The Harvard researchers are hopeful that GDF11-based treatment will also help humans with age-related heart disease. How did they know that the rejuvenation was caused by factors in the blood and not by young cells from the young mice, transplanting themselves through the common blood supply into the old mice? They genetically engineered the young mice to have cells that glow in ultraviolet light. The old mice had non-glowing cells. So when the old mice became youthful, all they had to do was shine ultraviolet light on them to see if the healed injuries glowed. Since none of the old mice glowed, the researchers were certain that only the young blood was causing the fast healing in the old mice. Hormones are the chemical communication system of the body. It seems to be that young hormones are not being produced as much in the older animals. This may tie in with those people who are changing their hormonal balance with caloric restriction diets. They eat less calories than normal, and their body chemistry changes in a way that has been proved to cause mice to live longer. People who've tried this have found that so many hormonal systems change that women have to change back to a normal diet if they want to have children. Imagine the Red Cross labelling bottles of donated blood with the age of the donor. In the last eight years, there's been a distinct lack 
of an international black market in young blood, so I think we can wait for the synthetic rejuvenating factors to reach the market. How can the old recover the powers of youth? It's all about communication. So old mice vampires using the signals in the blood of glow-in-the-dark young mice may help elderly people recover from disease and injury just like young people. Maybe Heinlein was right. They had it easy in the Renaissance They could invent new branches of science over lunch But nowadays we work more incrementally No one's naming any new elements after us Takes a lot of little steps And though it isn't very glamorous We won't make a world-shattering breakthrough We might find an explanation For gravitic oscillation But I somehow doubt you'll hear it on the news Cos we all do a little bit But it's a little bit Working for a bank, that little bit's enough We only do a little bit, but when you put them in a pot All these little bits together turn into a lot That was MJ Hibbert and the Validators with A Little Bit. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to join us? We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. You can send your contributions, opinions, congratulations, standing ovations, gasps of amazement, and helpful suggestions to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please do send us email so we know you're listening and you want to hear more. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia on the Community Radio Network and syndicated on the National Science Foundation's Science 360 internet radio station. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Like the movement of tectonic plates that slowly change the planet Like the tiny grains of sand that swallow cities